you live long enough, you live through seasons of lives. And so we're going to be in Numbers, uh, don't know where that's at, uh, get to the very beginning of your Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's the fourth book in the Old Testament, and it's part of a, of a series of five books, those first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch, or the Law. And uh, so... When you get to this, there, there's not a whole lot of times that, that we spend uh, our time in the Old Testament. In these books, Leviticus is a very difficult book. Uh, then you get to Numbers, and you're like, man, really? But, but there's some great information in here for us. When, when you're in Genesis, you, you know that the, it's the created order that God puts together and then leads Israel into this time where, where Genesis all actually ends. Israel and entering a time of captivity and slavery to Egypt. And Exodus is all about that time that they are in, in slavery, where they've, uh, they've left Egypt and now they're coming to Sinai and Exodus uh, to receive the law. Leviticus is all about the laws that they receive. It's a very difficult book. And then Numbers summarizes the 40 years that Israel spends in the wilderness or in the desert. So Numbers begins, if you're, you're in Numbers already, Numbers chapter 1. We're going to be in Numbers 11, but let me get to Numbers chapter 1. And uh, I've got to turn here without using that index finger. This is interesting. Just let, I just want you to know it's interesting because I'm left-handed. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month. In the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So that's where we are at. Uh, they have left Egypt. They're in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. I have a picture up on the screen uh, this morning. Uh, and they've been there in the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula near Mount Sinai uh, since Exodus chapter 19. So you can break numbers down into three different sections just because of the geography, where Israel is at during this time. Uh, chapters 1 through 10, they're around Mount Sinai. Chapters 11 through 16 is all about the 40 years of wilderness where they're near the area of Kadesh, if you're starting at that area. And then the last uh, section of chapters, chapters 17 through 36, they're in the plain of Moab, just getting ready to enter the promised land. But they're about to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And the setting is important. The reason why we need to know that is because all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses in the burning bush. Remember, God calls this holy ground. You're stepping on holy ground. Take your sandals off, Moses. And Moses and God have this conversation. And God says to them, I have seen the affliction of my people, I have heard their cry, and I will deliver them. All the way in Exodus 3, there's a promise. And actually, the promise is a reiteration of a promise that God gave Abraham that he was going to give his people the promised land. The people of Israel knew that the promised land was theirs. And yet they find themselves, after two years of making it out of Egypt, in bondage in Egypt, two years, they're still in the wilderness. God absolutely kept his promise to the people of Israel. But isn't it interesting that God took them out of slavery in Egypt and he on purpose put them in the wilderness? 
You're going to have to come to grips with that today. If, if you view your transition or your place in life right now as a place of wilderness or desert, I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. If you find yourself in that place of wilderness, that it's very possible that God has placed you there. They've been in the desert for two years. They've seen God's provision, and yet they've grown sick and tired of their place in the wilderness. They're just beginning their season in the desert, and they don't know that yet. They don't know that they're going to go through 40 years in the wilderness, so they're just beginning this season in their life. So what do we mean about uh, when, when we say a season in the desert or a season in the wilderness? Let, let's just define that so that when we talk about the, uh, living a life where we're in this desert place or in this wilderness place, that I want to define it this way. And I think I have this on the screen. If I don't listen carefully, then maybe you can write it down. Where life is not as it once was and where the future is in question. That's the desert. That's the wilderness. Where life, life is not as it once was, and where the future is in question. See, this is a big thing. This isn't a, this isn't a little thing. This isn't a trite thing. This isn't one of those moments in your life where you're like, how did I get here moments? It, it's, it's not where you, man, just a couple of weeks ago, when you, when you go to Thornton's, Thornton's because you want, you want a Mountain Dew slushy. And you've been craving it uh, for a couple of days, and you go in there, and you walk right straight across. You already know you're going to get a styrofoam cup because it keeps it colder than those crazy plastic cups. And you're going to the mountain, and it says, not ready, out of order. And you're like, what has this life come to? I can't have... That's not what we're talking about. Okay? That's not the wilderness experience, right? This is where life is going to change. Future's in question. It's usually a place where we feel lost or disoriented or hurt. But the desert or the wilderness that we experience is a fertile ground. It's a beautiful place where transformational growth, transformational, that word is metamorphosis in the New Testament, where we change from the inside out. God changes us from the inside out. The wilderness or the desert is this fertile ground. Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is that we're waiting on, whatever transition we're going through, it's fertile ground for God to show his bountiful grace to us in magnificent ways. It's an opportunity for us to grow in magnificent and magnanimous manner. It's a place where we can taste and see, according to Psalm 34, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. But you may have a different experience in the wilderness or in the desert because it's also possible that your experience in the wilderness, your experience in the desert, if you're not careful, it will lead you to a deep place of bitterness and resentment, sarcasm, and you'll turn to a life of cynicism. There are two ways that you could go. There are two different patterns of life. There are two attitudes that you could have that will either draw you into a transformational and deep personal growth or it'll take you to a dark spiritual decline. 
But either way, when you find your place in the wilderness, you're going to change. You're going to change. It will either lead to deep spiritual growth in your life, or it's going to become this hard, cynical, resentful place of darkness, and you'll see spiritual decline. And by the time we get to chapter 11 in Numbers, Moses, Moses is sick and tired of a cantankerous people, those who are just simply complaining about God and where God had them. Moses is tired. He's worn out. And so I just want to share with you this morning three possible responses that we may have when we experience a time of wilderness or a time of, of being in the desert, in this place where life is changing and we don't know what the future holds. How, what's that experience look like? What are the possible responses? Let's, the first response is to simply complain. We could just complain. Uh, if we look at the text in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them, some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, so they complained in the hearing of the Lord, then they complained or cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire died down, the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. I really like verse 4. Okay? Uh, uh, we just don't mince words. I, I love this about the Bible. It doesn't mince words. And this is, uh, this is what's said in verse 4. Now, the rabble. The rabble that was among... I used the word cantankerous earlier. But I love what the Bible... Just, he calls them rabble. Okay? The complainers, rabble, uh, 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 Christian standard, says the contemptible people. Okay? This is where they're at. The people of Israel, now the rabble that was among them, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. How awesome is it that they run? Verse 5, we remember. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, why, why would they put cucumbers in the Bible? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic. Can you just not picture this? A bunch of cantankers, rabble, contemptible people who have this memory of a beautiful place in Egypt as slaves. And they remember the meat and the free fish and the free cucumbers. It would be easy. In fact, I think it's probably always easy. It isn't it easy? We can look at the people of Israel here and go, you fools. It is so much easier to judge other people's wildernesses, right? Right? When, when other people are going through it or other people are in these desert places and they're struggling, they're in this transition, they don't know what their future holds, and it's easy for us to stand out here on the outside and kind of judge what's going on in their lives and say, why can't they, why are they complaining? Do they not know how good they have it? It's so much easier for us now. And it would be easy because really, wait, these people of Israel, come on. What's happened in their life before this? While they were in Egypt, they saw the power of God through ten plagues. One of them, which killed all the firstborn babies, 
when the blood was not poured out over the, the doorposts of their homes. They got to the edge of the Red Sea and watched Moses in the power of God part the Red Sea. And they crossed the Red Sea. And when the Red Sea came back together, it killed the armies of Egypt. I can remember hearing uh, a, a guy talk about, well, the Red Sea wasn't as deep uh, then as it is now. Well, that makes it that much better. Okay, the water's ankle deep in the Red Sea, and here's all these soldiers going, we need to kill ourselves! We need to kill ourselves! Look at what Israel has seen. They've gotten to the wilderness. A rock has been smitten by a staff, and water has poured out, and manna from heaven, food from the people of Israel have seen God time and again provide for them. They should know better than to complain, right? I think this is here to remind us that given the right circumstances, you and I could easily begin to set patterns of complaining and lose sight of the goodness of God inside the wilderness. It's so easy for us to set patterns of complaining while experiencing the season in the desert. That verse 5, remember the fish that we ate that cost nothing. The text doesn't really show it here, but the way that it was written in the original language does. They weren't complaining to God. They complained in the hearing of the Lord, and then they complained to Moses. What's happening here is that Israel is in such a dark place that they're actually rejecting God. <coughs> inside of their wilderness experience. It's much deeper and more horrifying than simply complaining. They're basically saying, we were better off without you, God. I didn't know how long this wilderness was going to last. The reason the people of Israel spent time in the wilderness is because they weren't the people that God needed them to be to take the promised land. There are lessons to be learned in the wilderness to get to the place and to be the people God wanted them to be, and it's not any different than us. When we find our place in the wilderness or in these desert places where life is different or life has changed and we don't know what the future holds, when we find ourselves in those places, there are lessons to be learned. There's an understanding of who God is. Because we're not the people God needs us to be. And it could be such a transformational period of time, or it could be a dark, cynical, sarcastic, and resentful place. Jeff Mannion, in his book, The Land Between, and by the way, a lot of what I've learned and a lot of what I'm preaching out of numbers comes from this book, The Land Between, by Jeff Mannion. Pastor of Ada Bible Church, probably going on 30 years now. And it's a wonderful book in the life of transition. And he wrote this. With each discomfort we experience, our responses both reveal the person we are and it sets the trajectory for the person we are becoming, whether good or bad. Okay? So with each discomfort we experience, our responses both reveal the person we are and it sets the trajectory for the person we are becoming. What he's saying here is the wilderness exposes us. The wilderness exposes us. I used to have this t-shirt that says, sports 
don't create character. Sports reveal character. The wilderness doesn't create character. It reveals character. How will we allow the wilderness experiences or the desert experiences in our life to transform, to transform us? One of the responses is to be like the people of Israel and simply complain. So let's take a sneak, sneak peek at what happens as a result of their complaining. Okay? What is it that they wanted? Do you remember what it was? What is it that they wanted? You share with me. What did they want? They wanted meat. They wanted food. They wanted fish. And they wanted cucumbers and garlic and onions. I can think of a bazillion things I want before that. But at this point, they want meat. They've been given manna. They've been given water to drink in the desert, in the wilderness. But they want meat. So what does God do? Because God is good. And God, by his very nature and his very name, God, the provider, Jehovah Jireh, what does he do? He provides for them. Look at verse 18. You may have to flip the page or scroll. Verse 18, he says to the people, consecrate yourselves. He's telling Moses to go with the elders and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it is better for us in Egypt. It was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. Man, how good is God? Shall we keep reading? <laughs> You've got to be careful to ask for the desires of your heart when you're in the wilderness. Because look what happens in verse 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on the side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits, 18 inches, above the ground. And the people rose, rose all that day, and all that night, and the next day, and they gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten Homers, I, I, you can even get the explanation of that. There's a lot of food, okay? And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kimbreth Atabah. Because there they buried the people who had the craving, the rabbit. From Kibbutz Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. The reminder that God is God, and that He is just, and He has put us in a place of wilderness, or in a place of the desert, for a purpose. Be careful what you pray for because the desires of your heart may not be aligned with the plan of God for your life. That is a hard lesson to learn in the wilderness. Let me give you a second one. Let's turn the corner. Let's move from the people of Israel to Moses. 
A second response in the wilderness or in the desert is to trust. To trust, even when you don't understand. And we're going to look at Moses here because Moses trusted God. Moses was struggling in this chapter. He still had some questions. He still did his complaining, but he did his complaining differently. He didn't reject God. He actually prayed to God in the moment of his wilderness. This is what good leaders do. And, and so this is what he did in, in three different places. And uh, verse 2, then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. In verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, um, verse 21, but Moses said, and Moses said to the Lord, the people among whom I have number 600,000 on foot and who have said. So this entire chapter, there's a conversation, an ongoing conversation that Moses is having with God because Moses has put his trust in God. And that doesn't mean that Moses always understood. This is, this is written throughout the Psalms when David would write his Psalms and they would start out in these places of deep despair and anguish and even resentment. And by the time the end of the psalm is written, he has fixed his eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith. He's fixed his eyes on God, on God, and he has, he has put his faith back in its place, in the place of trust. And this is exactly what Moses does. And we see that because Moses obeyed God. Moses obeyed God in chapter 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. This is the difference between the people of Israel and the people of Moses when they're going through the wilderness. That Moses, even though he didn't understand everything, he trusted God and he obeyed. And he did this through praying. Praying in this ongoing conversation with God. And when you're in the wilderness, prayer is the transaction of transferring the burden to God. That's how important prayer is when you're in the wilderness or when you're experiencing the desert. Is prayer is the transaction that transfers that weight or that burden that you're carrying onto God. And what trust does in the life of Moses is trust evicts complaint every single time. When you find yourself in a place of wilderness, when you find yourself in that desert, in that place where life is not the same, and you don't know what the future hold, holds, trust evicts complaint. They're incompatible. They're absolutely incompatible. We don't have time to read this this morning, but write this down. Maybe you can look at it a little bit later. Because it actually, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, talks about uh, rejoicing in our suffering. Because it produces endurance, and that endurance then produces hope. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We may tackle it a little bit uh, next week, because next week we're going to talk about what happens when we have to live through a season of suffering. And so it's about hope, it's about endurance. The problem is that attitudes are patterns of thinking over a long period of time. What are our attitudes when going through the desert. Because attitudes are patterns of thinking over a long period of time. What patterns are we setting up? Are we setting up patterns of trust or patterns of complaining? But it's only when we acknowledge God and His gracious provision that Jehira, Jehovah, Jehira, God the providers, when we recognize in the wilderness, we may have to get to the very bones basic. When we're in the wilderness, 
of believing and trusting God that He does give us our breath. He gives us our life. He provides for us food, water, shelter, the very basic needs of this life. God provides. And when you're in the wilderness, you may be able to just cling to that. But in that moment that you're clinging to those very basic needs that God promises to provide, it will lead you to a place of a deeper faith in the God who's got you. Amen. I can't control the future. I choose to trust. That could be the best thing you could possibly say when you're in a place of the wilderness or the desert. I can't control the future. I choose to trust. I'm going to make sure this morning that we believe that. Okay, so even if you don't believe it, you can say it out loud. It'll act like you believe it because you might be in the wilderness. You know, let me tell you, you just might have to repeat this several times. Okay, I can't control the future. I choose to trust. Let's say it together. I can't control the future. I choose to trust. Right? That's your first step in believing it is repeating it. Okay? I can't control the future. What happens when we don't trust? Two things happen when we don't trust. We worry. When we don't trust, we worry. See, um, the opposite of trust is not doubt. The opposite of trust is unbelief. And because of that, when we don't trust God, we worry. And Jesus is absolutely right when he says, in, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Or don't, in the ESV, it's don't be anxious about tomorrow. Different translation, don't worry about tomorrow. I like that translation. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. You live long enough, you go through seasons of life, you know that's true. Tomorrow has enough trouble. Why grab onto that stuff and bring it into today? You have enough stuff to deal with today, right? Right? <clears throat> we have nothing. We worry. What happens when we don't trust? We worry. And the second thing that happens when we don't trust, we fear. And fear amplifies the problem. Fear distorts our present reality. When we don't trust, we fear. And Moses is proving that he trusts God by obeying him, even in the wilderness. And there's one more thing that God does in this passage that is so, so good for us when we experience the wilderness. And it's the third response, the third attitude um, to our wilderness experience. And it's this. Learn to depend. Learn to depend. Look how good God is. Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, and officers over there. Bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand there with you. What does God do? In the moment where Moses is totally flat out, fed up, can't take it anymore, doesn't know what to do next, God says, hey, let me give you 70 friends. And let me prove to you that you're not alone. And these men, they're going to stay with you. When you're in the wilderness, you're not 
I know it feels like it. When I've been in moments of wilderness or desert experiences in my life, when I'm in that transitional place, I don't know what God's got next. And I feel like I'm the only one going through it. There can't possibly be anybody else in the world going through it. Then I find these books by other pastors that are experiencing the same exact thing that I've experienced. I'm going, God, you are so good. You've not left me alone. But don't miss something so incredibly important in this, these verses right here. He says, gather these 70 men and meet me at the tent of meeting. You know what that place is called in the Old Testament? It's the tabernacle. Do you know what that means? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle is the place where Israel recognized the presence of God. What is he doing here? He's saying, not only am I giving you 70 men, come to me. I care for you. Come to my presence. I'm going to take care. I'm in control. I've got this. You need to meet with me. One of the greatest temptations inside the wilderness is to run away. And to find that place of resentment. And to find that place of bitterness. And to think that you're all alone. And just like Elijah, I and only I am left. Just like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I'm the only prophet of God that's speaking the truth. And, and, and so much, so many terrible things happening to the people of Israel. But they're thinking the only ones left. And God's saying, come and meet me. You're in the wilderness. And you're in the desert. Don't. Run from the body of Christ. Moses is still struggling in verse 22. He's so fed up. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? Are they enough for them, these people? Nothing's ever going to be enough for them. Or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? And will that be enough for them? And then here comes this beautiful statement highlighted in your Bibles. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? The Lord says, Am I too weak for this? Am I powerless for this? Can I not handle this, Moses? Sit back, and you will see whether my word will come true or not. The very nature of God is at stake in your wilderness. Who he is and the promises that he has brought to you is at stake. And he's saying, trust me, depend on me. I am your God. You and I are always going to face uncertainty. There's, there's never going to be a day when everything works together perfectly on this side of heaven. Day is going to be great all the way through. How we respond in seasons of wilderness will either lead us to a deeper spiritual trust and faith in God, or it will lead to spiritual decline. Um, I have some pictures that I want to show you. Uh, I have been on purpose to the wilderness in Algonquin Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada, three times. One time to train, twice to take teams uh, into the wilderness. And we would go for somewhere between six and eight days. And we would backpack and canoe, and uh, we would eat fish, whatever we caught, and, and we backpacked food again. And it's very, very uh, a rough experience. And uh, so whether it's six or seven days, um, I, I enjoy this experience, but, but if you ever want to reveal character, go into the wilderness. 
go into the wilderness. There was one point in time, we took a bunch of teenagers both times, and one point in time we're out on the lake, and uh, there's this massive argument between a couple of leaders in our group. And Julie's in the canoe behind me, and she says, Jared, do you want to stop them? And I said, oh, no. <laughs> we're in the wilderness. This is the experience that they're having to see how will they come out of this experience changed. We still have teenagers. They're not teenagers anymore. But uh, 2007 was our last trip. It was the hardest trip I've ever had in the wilderness. I had planned this trip out. Trip out. I had sent it ahead to our outfitters. Our outfitters took our canoes and set them at the end of our trip instead of at the beginning. There's going to be six or seven days in the wilderness. I think this was seven days in the wilderness. And uh, they put it at the end of our trip, and, and they couldn't get them to the front end of our trip because we would lose a day just getting our equipment to a new place. And so we decided we were going to do the trip backwards. What that meant was uh, when we got to the streams, we would be going upstream the entire way to get to the new portage or get to the new lake. So the entire seven days, we literally paddled upstream. 10 to 12 hours. It was difficult. This is one of those moments. We're going over a beaver dam on this stream. And we had several of these where we had to lift the canoes, get on the other side, and continue paddling upstream. 10 and 12 hour days. On the end of the third 12 hour days of paddling, Julie said to me, I will never do this again. <laughs> is that literally what you said? I think it was literally what she said. I will never do this. I'm loving it. It is pushing us to the brink. And Julie's like, I will never do this again. It was difficult terrain, um, but God then reminded us of his beauty. I have, a couple, I have a couple other pictures. At night, this was the beauty of the wilderness, that at the end of the day, the sun setting, we see the goodness of God, and in the morning, we see um, we see the loons out on the lake, and they're making noise, and they're waking us up, and we saw a waterfall that we never would have seen had we not gone this direction. There was some danger along the way. Uh, like any good uh, wilderness experience, we had to hang our food. I have a picture of that. We had to hang our food. Can we get to the next picture? There we go. Uh, we had to hang our food. But uh, at one moment, we go through this stream, this inlet, to get to a big lake, and there's a moose uh, that we never would have seen had we gone the other direction. And you want to know what it's like to keep 19 teenagers inside their canoes and we're going to be quiet, be quiet as you go past Mama Moose. <laughs> I, just, very, I was so scared uh, getting these kids past. They're standing up in their canoes and taking pictures. Sit down! <laughs> Sit down! Leeches in the water, mosquitoes that could pick you up and carry you away. But the last picture here is just to remind you that... Um, we survived. We made it through the wilderness, all of us. Seven days of an experience that changed the life of every single teenager who gone on that trip with us. And can I just, in closing, uh, have you ever seen those books like uh, Microsoft for Dummies, or, you know, Apple for Dummies, that kind of thing? Can I just give you some quick tips for dummies who want to survive the wilderness? Can I just give you some quick tips here to end with this morning? Quick tip number one. When you find yourself in the wilderness, don't panic. When you find yourself in the wilderness, don't panic. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. God took the people of Israel out of slavery and on purpose put them in the desert so they would become the people that God needed them to be to take the promised land. If he has you experiencing a wilderness place or a desert place, he's got you there on purpose. Don't panic. Trust him. Here's the second thing. Assess the situation. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Why am I here? Evaluation in the desert, evaluation in the wilderness is absolutely important. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. One of the things that happened to me in the wilderness while I was training in 2004 is that the leaders of that training experience gave me a solo day right after the day that I led in the wilderness. I had to lead our crew from one place to another place, and I took the wrong turn. That cost us three hours in the trip. So I skipped lunch. I told everyone, we're skipping lunch, and we're going to hightail it to our spot. I was so angry with the mistake that I made. That night we sat around the fire, and they evaluated my leadership. And they actually said it was really good leadership up until your mistake. And instead of owning your mistake and allowing us to help you through it, you just plowed right through the wilderness. It was not fun. <laughs> Evaluate, assess why you're assess why you're there. And, and so in 2004, that's when I began taking solo days throughout my year. I take four solo days a year, an entire day where I just get along with God, with my Bible, no technology, no phone, no watch, no clock of any kind, and I just spend those times with the Lord, asking Him. And evaluating. Assess the situation. Uh, find food and water. I'm not talking physically. Don't, don't, don't just start eating and drinking when you find yourself in the wilderness. I'm talking spiritually here. You need nourishment. I need nourishment. When we're in the wilderness, the nourishment is the promises. They're the promises of God. Get into His Word. When you find yourself in that difficult place, Get into the promises of God. Find the promises that he has relayed to you. And meditate on his promises. In, in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not uh, walk in the way of sinners, or stand in the seat of mockers, or sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, or on his word, he meditates day and night. And later on it says, He will be like a tree planted next to the streams of water that whatever he does prospers. His leaf won't wither. When you find yourself in the desert place, find nourishment. Number four, look for shelter. Look for shelter. Psalm 34 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 46 is, is about God being our ever-present refuge in our time of need. Look for shelter. And the fact that the fifth thing, the final thing, is pray. Be like Moses, God, I don't understand everything, but I trust you, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to continue to talk with you. 
I'm going to continue to transfer that burden to you. I'm going to be thankful of your promises. You look to his goodness and you trust that he's got this because Isaiah 41.10, he says, Do not fear, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I got you. Do you know that Jesus had a wilderness experience? Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist, and right after that incredible experience where the Spirit of the Lord came down like a dove upon Jesus, in that moment, just shortly after that, God sent Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted and he prayed. Jesus knows what it's like for you to experience the wilderness. In fact, Hebrews tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest, Jesus, who understands what it is that we're going through. Jesus has been in that place, and he's been in the wilderness, and when he came out of the wilderness, wouldn't you know it, Satan is right there wanting to tempt Jesus. And Jesus goes to battle the same way that he calls us to go to battle, and he remembers the promises of God. Satan would say something, and Jesus would say, it is written. Satan would say something, and Jesus would say, it is written. When you're tempted to complain, when you're tempted to places of bitterness and resentfulness, when you're in a desert place, stop. And say, it is written. And begin to repeat the promises of God. 